the latest in agricultural media and some smart conversation. This is the Ag Communicators Network podcast, and here's your host, Kelsey Litchfield. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the AgCom Network podcast. I'm Kelsey Litchfield, and today I have a special episode to share with you all. At Ag Media Summit this summer, I co-hosted a workshop with Sarah Stever of Paulson Marketing all about podcasting. Sarah has her own podcast as well, and we were talking, and we wanted to bring you this information on the digital side as well. So today, you will have the opportunity to listen in on our workshop, and you can follow along with the slides, so make sure to check out the show notes to download those, and then while you're listening, you can follow along. In this episode, we will be sharing best podcasting practices, how to promote your podcast, as well as attract new followers, and then also repurpose content from those recorded episodes and so much more. We have a lot of good information to share with you all. I want to give thanks to John Blue of Truffle Media Networks for recording our workshop and allowing us to share his audio file today. So grab a pen and paper and let's tune in. Awesome. I'm sure my mic's working. I had Queen playing earlier to get me pumped up for this, so I should turn it back on maybe. <laughs> well, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming to our session this morning. So like Sarah said, I'm Kelsey Litchfield. I am a digital media consultant and videographer based out of West Central Illinois. Um, to give you an idea, about two hours south of Chicago, um, southwest of Chicago. Um, and then I work full time as the marketing manager at the Galesburg Area Chamber of Commerce, um, helping our rural businesses tell their stories and um, grow their business as well. I started the AAEA AgCom Network podcast in May of 2018. Um, kind of background on that, I was just telling Chuck earlier. The reason why I started is I have a background in broadcast journalism and my current role, I wasn't behind a microphone and I really missed it. So I thought, what avenue can I do to get me behind, back behind the microphone? So I called up AAEA, I believe it was Samantha and Holly Spangler, say, I have this idea, can we do it? And here we are, almost a year later. Um, it the podcast focuses on tools and resources for ag communicators to be able to um, grow their own career and just fun tidbits and interviews with other AAEA ag, ag communicators. We've split it into two portions. Um, first one, I'm going to talk about best practices, things that I've learned um, previously in my broadcast journalism internships and throughout the podcast, just some best tips and practices that I thought would be nice. And then Sarah's gonna come in on the second half and talk about promoting and attracting an audience. So first question, how many of you have a podcast? Just a raise of hands. Oh, awesome. I was expecting maybe three people to show their hands. So that's awesome. Um, that is great. Thank you for doing that. I know it's a lot of hard work to put out a podcast, so it's really nice to see that show of hands. If you don't have a podcast and you're just interested here, we'd be happy to answer any questions afterwards about how you can really start and those beginning steps to a podcast. Um, but it's great that you're here. So, um, so you have a podcast. What I'm going to talk about today is now you can learn from my mistakes because I have certainly made them. I'm not perfect. Um, a young ad communicator, obviously, you're going to make mistakes. So I'm going to start out with a story first to show you. 
how I've made a mistake. So when we first started the AgCom Network podcast, I had the bright idea of doing a Facebook Live to accompany it. I wanted to engage with the audience on a live level. I thought, oh, there's software out there that we can use to interact with an audience with the podcast and then take that audio and download it for the audio portion of the podcast. It was going great for about the first three, four months we were doing it, and then we decided to do a live show after Ag Media Summit last year, and for some reason the audio just wasn't working, and may I remind you, we were live. So you can imagine my little freak out of, I can't hear the guest voice. Holly Spangler was also on with me, I couldn't hear her, so it, it was a big mess. But we continued on with the Facebook Live. Mistakes happen. Technology, love, hate, relationship with it, stuff happens. Um, later on, I, we did, I think it was last December, we did the Holly Squared interview, as I like to call it. So we had Holly Spangler on and Holly Martin on as well, and she was talking about be, being in an editor's shoes. We're doing the Facebook Live again, and everything's working, we're good to go. Hit Live, 15 seconds in, all of a sudden, I can't hear Holly Spangler. I can see her, she's making motions, like, can you hear me? We're live, and I thought, this is not working. What's... We did our best, I asked questions through it, but it was kind of a mess. So what I'm getting at is, you're going to make mistakes as a podcaster, you grow and evolve from them. Right now, we don't do the Facebook Live anymore, it's just more of an inconvenience, we just do audio via Zoom, and then download that audio and turn it into a podcast. So I've divvied this up before you hit record, some things to think of before you hit that record button. And Sarah and I, when we were talking earlier yesterday, we said this is kind of the most important part when it comes to podcasting, doing all the planning ahead of time, figuring out all the logistics. Sarah, if there's anything you want to chime in on this, please do. So first thing, if I had a laser, I would underline this that says plan ahead get a calendar and make it consistent. I am guilty of not planning ahead. I know I can do better, honestly. But my biggest piece of advice is plan out your podcasting as soon as you can. Six months ahead, a year, whatever you can do. Therefore, you will make it consistent. So on the talk of consistency, um, our podcast is only released once a month. Just once a month. Um, a lot of podcasts, they release once a week. I know podcasts are released twice in a week. I can't do that. And I tell people, if you can't do that either, don't do it. If you can just release once a month and make it consistent, great, do that. If you can release once a week and be consistent about it, great, do that. You can always, um, you can always record ahead of time, and Sarah's going to talk about when you launch it. You can do stuff ahead of time, but if there's anything you get out from my portion today is just make your content consistent. Put it on a schedule, stick to it. Um, next one is topics and guests matter. I get a few inquiries about people wanting to be a guest on the AgCom Network podcast. I don't say yes to every single one of them, honestly. I wish I could. But when you're planning out topics and guests, really consider who they are, do your research, it has to come back to your niche, to the topic that you're wanting to put out. If you go something off topic, I guarantee your audience will be like, where'd this come from? I'm not going to hit play or something, then your analytics are going to go down. 
If you're kind of one that does different topics out there, great. You have some kind of theme you come back to. But when you're planning, always put your audience in your mind and think, what would they want to hear? Um, next, do your research. Um, I've done a couple research on doing research. I like interviewed a couple other podcasts, so I said, what do you do before you hit record? And a lot of them say, I do three hours of research on my guests before I even hit record. I have an outline. I do my homework. Very rarely, and actually I never have, gone into a podcast episode and not done my research because you're, you're journalists, editors, you know, the prep that goes on ahead of time before doing an interview. It's, it's the same thing here. Do your research and see, not that you can surprise your guests, but show your guests that you have done your homework. I hear the best questions come out of, oh, I didn't know you know that, but I saw this on your LinkedIn, and I would like to talk about it. Um, next one is create an outline. I did a couple internships at RFD Radio Network, and they always taught me don't submit your questions ahead of time. It's not proper journalistic. You can have some questions ready if you need it, but I will honestly say when I first started, I was so nervous about it that I submitted my questions to them and say, here, this is what we're going to talk about. I don't do that anymore because it sounds so scripted. It sounds like you're not interested in engaging with them actually based on your conversation. So what I do now is I create an outline. And actually, I don't show it to the guest anymore either because I don't want them to really, really have it in their head, this is what we're going to talk about. I'll have an outline. Sometimes, most of the time, I go off of it and I don't stick to it because they say something interesting that I want to dive more into. So, but you can be prepared, create an outline, do what you want with it, keep it. If you want to show it to your guests to make them feel more comfortable, it's really up to you what, what your comfort zone is. But I highly suggest just have it handy, but really engage with your guests. And get your ducks in a row. So what I mean by this is if you're using an online software, test, test, test. I told you about the Facebook Live earlier. Um, make sure everything's smooth, that your guest is ready before you hit record, um, and that no surprises pop up. So do as much as you can before you hit that record button. While recording, obviously have your research and outline handy. I print mine out. I don't leave it on my computer screen because that distracts me, so I always have it ready. Another thing I learned from my broadcast days is learn the guest's name and the spelling. I think there was two guests I accidentally got their name wrong. And that was really embarrassing, and that's it's not something I'm proud of. But hey, we all make mistakes, so I highly suggest make sure you have them in the beginning while you're recording. You can edit it out later. Have them say their name and spell it out, because I think it's and like I said, I'm guilty of this, but it's, it's not very good when you can't get your own guest name and spelling right. Um, I talked about this earlier, go with the flow. If you guys start talking about something and it really heads in the right direction, go with the flow. Talk about it some more. You can always tell when a topic of a, or end of a conversation is ending. Get your next question ready, but don't stick so hard on that outline that you're missing out on their responses and then furthering that conversation. A big one is mute your phone, mute your computer, mute your dog, whatever. Get into a space where it can be as silent as possible. Put the kids in another room, lock them in there, I don't know, put them somewhere. Because 
Honestly, it's so annoying when I go back and edit audio and there's a spike in there that's a dog or it's a phone. Most of the time I can edit it out, but not always. If it's also covered behind their conversation, I can't. And it's not a huge thing, but I think it, it doesn't help with the audio. And if they have a really good point they're trying to make and you have signs and sirens in the background, that, um, that just takes away, for, I think, from the quality content. And then again, testing, make sure you are recording before you go into the conversation. So the software that we use, Zoom, I always make sure that the, the um, light is flashing red because we're going to have to do it again if it's not, and I don't think they'd be very happy with me. So after recording, introductions and titles are very, very important. I do an intro and an outro for every episode, and I don't do them until after the podcast episode we're done recording with it. Um, my introductions are about a minute or less. I'm trying to cut them down a little bit more. But that is so important because when it comes to videography, people either decide in like the first four seconds of a video if they want to keep watching. It's the same with podcasting. People are going to decide probably within the first five seconds, especially if you have a new audience member, if they want to keep listening. So really grab their attention. Um, the next one, learn basic editing skills. If you can afford to outsource, go for it. There's a lot of great outsource freelancers out there that want to do audio. Hit me up if you really want to. Um, but there's a lot of tutorials out there to learn basic editing skills. I use Adobe Audition. I know there's plenty of programs out there. That's just one I've consistently used since, I believe, freshman year of college. But there, there's tutorials available on YouTube. There's things out there for you to learn and grow with your own editing skills. And I think my first podcast, it took me, I want to say, five hours to edit it. And now, usually for a 45-minute interview, I think I can get it down to two and a half hours. It just takes time to learn it. Smooth and natural conversation. So this goes with learning basic editing skills. I actually used to listen to a podcast I don't listen to it anymore because it sounds so scripted. They, they edit out all their uhs and ums, and you can clean that up a little bit, but if you clean up too much, it sounds choppy, it doesn't sound natural, and then that shuts me off and I go to the next podcast. It's the little details, guys. It, it seems so small that you're like, oh, it doesn't matter, Kelsey. No, it kind of does matter because if people are listening to how you're constructing the interview rather than what's in it, and that's going to have people click next or go to the next, next podcast. So edit out your ums and ahs and long pauses if they're there, but don't edit out all of them because then that takes away from the natural conversation. Show notes matter, matter a lot. Um, I'm trying to get better on my own show notes, honestly. Um, it, I, when I go back and edit it, I have a full notebook that I take notes on, and that's what I use my show notes for. But show notes, if you don't know what they are, they are in your description of your podcast. So we have Podbean, and they're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And that's what people read before they click play. So they read the title, and then they're going to read the show notes. You can also have um, a miniature size of show notes on there, and then on your website you can expand a little bit more. You don't want to take up too much space. But they matter. Grab that person's attention. Why will they be listening? Also, don't ignore the analytics. 
we use Podbean um, as our hosting site. Sarah, they use an actual website, is that correct? So they have built a website for their podcast. Um, we decided to go ahead and use Podbean. I, I think I do the audio unlimited plan and it, gr it gives great analytics. Honestly, and we had this conversation yesterday, I don't think iTunes gives the best analytics. I'd really love to talk to Apple and say, hey, step it up here, please. Google Play has okay, Spotify has pretty good analytics, but check them. How many subscribers do you have? How many downloads? I can tell you from looking at the list of our episodes, I can tell you which ones are the most popular. And then planning, going ahead forward, I'm gonna, I'm gonna identify those topics, not do the same topic, obviously, but in that same realm. Our young professional topics tend to do very well, so I'm gonna take that into consideration when planning for 2020. And if you don't understand the analytics either, a lot of those websites have help. What does this mean? They have little question marks that can help you understand what the analytics are talking about. Tools, everyone always asks me, well, what do you use, Kelsey? This is my little um, studio that I have on my desk at home. Um, I have my Apple computer here that I film on, and honestly, I don't use my microphone. It's hit, the name's hidden, but I use a Snowball microphone. Ordered it right off Amazon. Yep, that's right. The only time I use my Snowballs is when I'm editing intros and outros. What I want people to understand when it comes to podcasting, you don't have to have all the fancy equipment. It's nice to have fancy equipment, don't get me wrong. I wish I could have an actual studio. But you gotta make do with what you have and don't let it stop you from recording. So the computer has a built-in microphone and webcam that works great. For, to actually record, I can't record with people in person as much as I want to, so we use Zoom. You can call in via telephone or you can come in via webcam and talk with them and download the audio from that because it's recording. It's honestly fantastic in my opinion. Editing, audio editing software, like I said, I use Adobe Audition. I've taught people if they have Macs how to use GarageBand to edit. It can be done. And then microphone and headphones. I just went to Amazon and there's um, different packages you get. This thing on the front is a pop screen. Sometimes when you're talking, you have a lot of P's that will spike the audio up, and it's very hard. You have to be an advanced editor. I've tried, and I can't do it to get those P's back down. So that helps if you're talking with P's and other con constants. That helps them so it doesn't spike the audio. And then the blue snowball mic is behind that, and then headphones. Monetizing your podcasts. The AdCom Network podcast doesn't have any sponsors right now. If you're interested, let me know. I, I'll talk with you. But I've done some research into sponsorships. You can have a podcast and not monetize it. That's what I do now. I just want to get the information out there. I'm okay with not being paid for it, honestly. It's just something I wanted to do as a passion of mine, get behind the microphone. But I do encourage you, if you're interested, what can you do to get sponsorships? These are the kind of things I've thought about when looking for sponsors. What business or organization wants to get in front of my audience? It's a much easier ask if you find those organizations, groups, because if you can show them the value the podcast would have for their audience, it would grow their sales or whatever they're interested, it's a much easier ask and maybe a more easier yes to sponsor the podcast. I also think what I personally promote their product or service 
it's so annoying to me when I hear a podcast and I hear a, a commercial and I can tell they're just doing the commercial just for the money and I know that they don't want to actually personally promote. You can just tell people, you really can. Uh, what do you personally promote their product or service? People can tell if you're being genuine. Do your research again when it comes to sponsorships. Look for different organizations. Um, AAEA has a fantastic directory of their membership directory. That's what I've kind of looked for in possible sponsors. Communicate, communicate with that sponsor. In the chamber world, I work with a lot of sponsors, and nothing they say is more annoying is when you're not communicating the benefits that they get as being a sponsor. So talk about that. Are you going to do a 15-second ad? Are you going to do a 30-second ad? What's going to be in the script? It's a lot of work to make sure that both parties are happy. Have analytics ready for them. Show them how many downloads, subscribes you get. Um, the next one, don't go overboard on sponsorships. There's one podcast I listen to. It's not involved with the ag at all. But I think it's two and a half, three minutes in. That's when you finally get to the podcast. The first two and a half, three minutes are all ads. You know how I have an iPhone. You know how they have that 15-minute skip button? I just start pressing it. I get it if it's 30 seconds, maybe a minute, I'll listen. If you're two and a half, three minutes in and you're still doing sponsorships, see you later. I'm not interested or I'm going to skip through them. I doubt the sponsors want that. And then don't undersell yourself. Really do some research on what, how much money to ask because that's one thing I've, I've been researching is you have a good product or service that you're putting out there. Don't undersell it. Show them what they could really get from being in front of your audience. So that's kind of the end of my portion. Some things I wanted to hit on just as I end is when it comes to podcasting, one size doesn't fit all. Some things work for Sarah's podcast that are not going to work for mine and vice versa. You really need to find what you can do and what fits your audience and then work with it. Keep learning and evolve. I've been doing this podcast just for over a year and I'm still learning things. So keep evolving, keep learning. That's one thing we were talking to Chuck in our interview. Just keep doing it and making sure that it's quality content at the end of the day. And then don't be afraid to try new things. We tried the Facebook Live, didn't work. So if there's other things out there, listen to other podcasts. I can't encourage that enough. Listen to their interview style. Listen, do they have some kind of emerging media that they're doing to get in front of their audience? explore, listen to other podcasts and see what they're doing. I'm Sarah Stever from Paulson and the podcast that I have is called Spark and it's about careers in agribusiness and so I've spent a few years now interviewing mainly women about their roles in ag because I'm a little bit concerned about our Gen Z uh, coming out of high school and coming out of college and actually picking a career in agribusiness. And I thought <coughs> I want to make sure that all those stories are being told about all the great people in ag uh, that are really uh, leaders that we all be, need to be looking up to, excuse me. And I think that's a way, hopefully, to get that in front of, eventually, um, ag educators through FFA. So I have that not only as um, about 30-minute podcasts, but they're down to like three- or four-minute video clips that can be used in a classroom. So that's kind of the mission of that, of that podcast. So. So for those of you who have not already launched your podcast, uh, this is really just a set of tips at the beginning. You want to make sure you've got a body of work before you decide to, to distribute it and get it put out there. And one of those reasons is because you don't want someone checking out your podcast and then you've got one episode and they don't know when the next one's coming. So have a body of at least three. Um, 
if you're trying to trend and get in new and noteworthy on iTunes, you've got a little window there of about two months, the two weeks in the very beginning being the most critical. So really plan ahead of time and have the ducks in the row thing probably would fit in here really well too. You may already have an audience that you've got, and so you want to be able to tap into those, get them excited about the fact that you're going to launch a podcast, and get them ready to get in there and give you ratings and reviews, because all of those things are going to be what make you trend. And then make sure you're also picking the right category, you know, when you get new. So just some simple things. So the rest of us, I'm going to frame in a way I think we're all really used to seeing this now, which is the, the owned, earned, and paid uh, way of thinking about media and expanding your audience. So really, I think it's important to have a place for the show notes, a place for all the, the metadata that needs to go along with your podcast. So yes, important to have it um, other places, but I think it is also good to have an anchor on your website because frankly, you may already have traffic to your website. So whether or not you put together a site just for the podcast or you're building it into where you've got it already, I think that's kind of an important thing. We had talked about the show notes piece. I think that all fits in here really well. And then the landing pages that go out from the junction page. And I'm going to show you an example that I think is a really good one. <clears throat> These are about 30-minute podcasts, and I listen to them every single week. They're very, very regular. But the way Drew is the name of the person who runs this, the way he set this up, he orients the user in case you're unfamiliar with podcasting, gives you instructions on how to actually you know, go where you're going to need to go based on what mobile device you've got. And then be below this, which you can't see, are all the podcasts that are in his most recent podcast. And then when you click through to one of them, then you get the show notes. <clears throat> you get some more uh, pictures. He's got pull quotes. He's got easy ways to share things socially. You can tell how much it's been shared. He's just has done a really wonderful job with this. Plus, you'll notice on the right-hand side, he's got a way to subscribe. And so he's thinking about this more holistically, which is what I would encourage you to do, which is why I think the, the website's an important component of this. You need to have people coming back to see your site and to get acquainted with your podcast and your other content. Now, that's presuming you've got goals for this that are, I'd like to build an audience, which we'll talk about too. So within that website, just some technical stuff that you need to take care of. Make sure you've got your tags in place for Google, for Google Analytics and for Facebook, because we're going to build some Facebook audiences in the, when we get over to the paid portion of this. Uh, search engine optimization, I think that's something you need to think about because you've got to give uh, Google something to go to work from, right? And so I'm a big fan of um, structured data. I think that's the way that search engines are going. It's, um, it's an evolving and changing world. And really the most important thing you could do is actually have good content, which if you're working on your podcast and you're taking some of these other tips, you'll have. So. Structured data, pretty technical, but there is actually a specific microdata term for this, which is on-demand event. So that tells Google this is a podcast, and it's going to help with your search engine ranking. And then that form to collect email, that's a very, very important, because remember, we're building an audience. And so we want to make sure we can stay in contact with them when we have something to say. So podcast um, aggregators or podcatchers. Uh, we talked about this actually quite a bit already. So you're going to want to have your podcast in multiple places. Um, I'm a big fan of Libsyn. I've heard really good things about that. But um, there's just a lot of places to have it. And there's reasons to have it in multiple places. And we had talked about SoundCloud. And I'm going to uh, speak to that one specifically here. You can max out the, the amount of data you can put on SoundCloud. But if you are just using SoundCloud for some short snippets, it's really nice because it integrates really well with Twitter. 
and it also integrates with Instagram. And so I think SoundCloud can have a use that's got shorter data so that you don't end up filling it up. Um, and happy to share this with you guys later too. And then Podbean we talked about. Um, so there's a, there's a gajillion of them. This is like the tip of the iceberg for how many places you can actually put that. But you should really be thinking about where is my audience. And if you can find them, then you, you know, that's really where you need to be. And then Patron is another way um, that you can, it's a place where you can put your stuff, but it's also a place where you can actually try to raise some money. So if you're going to do that, then you need to talk about that on your podcast. You know, support me through Patron. Um, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to have started to use that, and I think it's a great way to help monetize what you're trying to do. So repurposing your podcasts, I really think, you know, depending on the goal of what you wanted to do with this, podcasts should be just a part of your content strategy overall. So I would really recommend that you consider, and this does make a lot more work um, out of this, but you know, if you can make videos and put them out on YouTube, you can use Vidivo or Pexels for looping video. It's really you just have an audio track, right? So get, a, get the picture of your guest interviewing, get your logo up there, get a looping video going, and you can make a video of it. You don't necessarily need to do the entire thing, and I think there's some merit to actually just you know, cherry picking the best quotes out of that and maybe turning those into the video portions of it. Um, I'm also a big fan of making a transcript of the entire thing. I, there are times when I just can't listen to a podcast, but I'd really like to find out what they talked about, and then you can skim down to the portion that you really were interested in. And we use rev.com for that. Um, it's fairly inexpensive, and they do a great job. You, know, you have very little cleaning up to do when it gets back there, and that gives you, you know, the actual data to get in for search engines. Um, for some people, it's gating content that's of high value. And so if you're trying to collect email addresses, um, again, it boils down to whether or not you actually have something useful to say that's uh, interesting or entertaining. But collecting those email addresses over time, I think, is pretty important. And then obviously turning this into a social post, because you need to amplify out to all your audiences and your audience's audiences. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, those really short clips uploaded to SoundCloud, again, I want to remind you about doing that. And then there's way, there are ways to use your social platforms with images through things like Canva. Um, and creating infographics. I think that's another great way to share some of your stories, depending on your guests. And then quotes as graphics. That's really a nice way. So go cherry pick, again, one of the best quotes that you had. Make an infographic out of that. That makes a great Facebook post. It makes a great Instagram. Um, and then just behind the scenes shots, if you actually do have the privilege of recording live, which sometimes does happen, get some behind the scenes shots and share those out. I think people like to see those. And then your social ecosystem. So we could spend you know, 30 minutes talking about actually every single one of those. Um, but I think you know, you've already got a network built up, so you really want to amplify through the networks that you've got and through your guest networks, frankly. Um, YouTube, I think, does a great job because it'll close caption for you and it can do some of the audio auto transcription, which I think is helpful. Again, using Pexels for looping video. And then tag it with interview with and then put your guest name and your name in there. So again, whenever you're uploading to YouTube, you've got to give YouTube some um, metadata to work with. So make sure you're using your show notes or something in YouTube for a good solid description. Um, Facebook seems to be trending towards privacy. I don't know if you guys have noticed Facebook's been in a little bit of trouble. Um, but they're really encouraging you to use groups. And so start to build your Facebook groups. Find Facebook groups that are already relevant and start sharing in those circles. 
LinkedIn, I think, is kind of the same, always been a little bit like that, where groups are kind of important there. And actually, one of the most powerful things I've seen done uh, is to get a network, a private network of people in a LinkedIn group. And whenever you get ready to launch a podcast, get the link out there and send that to them and ask them to like it for you. And so that's just your own little group. They don't have to respond to the post you did, but link to that so they can go into the main area of LinkedIn and um, boost you, which is really important. Um, <clears throat> Twitter, Twitter, yeah, really an, an interesting format, I think. It does really well with those SoundCloud clips. I think that's good, but Twitter is such a fire hose of stuff. Um, I really think you're best scheduling that when you think you're getting engagement and watch your analytics for that. But don't be afraid to repurpose that and send it out, you know, three or four or five day intervals. Don't be afraid to keep posting that out there, depending on how active you are in your posting. If that's the only thing you're posting, don't post that three times in a row. Uh, mix it up a little bit. And then Instagram, um, Canva, if you've not heard of that, that's a great place to get some images to go along with it. So you're not constantly trying to look, unless you're a really good photographer or something, have your own body to work. But you need visuals to go with a lot of these. Um, again, those behind the scenes shots and the video, that's a, another way to, to use Instagram. And each one of these platforms, I guess my point is, they all have um, some really specific ways to use them. They have very specific audiences. But that doesn't mean that you can't use them to help promote your, your podcast and then your content overall. And again, Pinterest, build, build out your boards and engage. We all know how that works, right? OK, so a little bit on the technical side, again, on building audience assets. We really need to be thinking, and this is partly due to that privacy trend that's happening out there. We've got to be thinking about building our own audiences all the time, because it's going to get harder and harder because of privacy to, to get outside of our own audiences. So again, that Google Analytics remarketing audience that if you placed your analytics pixels in uh, place, and we'll get into that a little bit more, you'll be able to set up audiences through that and then through Facebook. These are audiences you can own. I mean, they're, they're on property that isn't yours, but it's important, again, to build those audiences, and I'll show you why in a minute. Another part of your podcast ecosystem that I think falls into the earned area are the guests. So you may invite guests, and, and to Kelsey's point, make sure somebody that your audience is going to expect you to talk to. You know, that's, that makes, you know, only makes perfect sense. Um, but you've got to think about the network that those people have built in. And I can tell definitely in my podcast the people who actually took the time to take their podcast and share it with their own network. And so you have to encourage them to do that. And I, I would really suggest you get a system in place for those reminders and those tools that they need. Help them by sending the links out. You know, don't make them work to share this, but make it easy for them so that your guests can amplify you through their network. And that's, again, you'll drive them back um, and get more subscribers for yours. And then I think what's really a lovely gift is to take that money quote, one of their best quotes out there, and then frame it and send it to them as a thank you. That's really a nice way for them to remember the experience with you. And then it's, um, I think, perfectly fine to pursue being a guest on other podcasts. And that can be a, a way to open up a whole new set of audiences to you, too. Uh, it takes a little bit of legwork. Again, make sure that what you're going to talk about is relevant to their audience. Um, otherwise, you're just kind of wasting everybody else's time. And then Kelsey had talked a lot about sponsorships. If you go down the path to getting the sponsorships set up, um, make sure you're leveraging those networks. Those people have got, uh, you know, I think the, the podcast I showed you the website for earlier, 
um, HubSpot's now a sponsor of that one. So just think of the whole HubSpot audience now that has access to that. So think about those networks too. So ratings and reviews, we talked about that a little bit. There's that little window, really, when you're trying to get into the new and noteworthy. Um, and once that window is kind of passed, I don't know that that's, you know, that you need to be thinking about that as much as just ratings and reviews overall. When new people come across, they want a positive review. And so you've really got to encourage people to do that because it takes time. And so one of the ways I think is uh, a good way to do that is through contests. So. Um, I'll use the example that, um, of Drew. He, he gives away a seat at a, uh, an event, which is about a $1,200 value, once a month for people to dry reviews. So he's really got a ton of reviews on his podcast now because he's really methodical about that. But once you give a review, you have to take a screen grab of it and email it to him. So it's a lot of work. So you've got to think about the value proposition. And a contest can be a great way to drive those ratings and reviews. Remind people at the end of your podcast, maybe even at the beginning of your podcast. Um, we don't want to get too commercially, but it really is important. And if you if you connect with people and they feel your mission, um, I don't think it's too much to ask for that. So I <clears throat> feel kind of funny talking to you guys about the public relations <laughs> aspect of this. But I think media relations can go a long way. Just the normal block and tackle that you guys would do for any of the content or any of the interviews or any of the assets you're developing should hold true also for your podcast, um, provided, in fact, that it's actually newsworthy. And you all know what it means to be newsworthy. But there are audiences, I think, that you can build media relations through and do it that way. I think the guest podcast piece, especially if you've inter interviewed a, a heavy hitter, I think that's newsworthy. What they say is going to be newsworthy. Not that you interviewed them, but what they have to say. Um, and then enough of your topics coming together, I think you can cultivate some expertise in a niche, and then you can actually turn into a speaker out of it. I've been invited to speak because of the content of my podcast. Not that I do the podcast itself, but just what we all talked about in those interviews. Um, and then making sure that you're responding on social, I think, is also really an important part of how I think about public relations. And then we had talked about word of mouth being really important. People talk about the podcasts that they, they listen to, and that I think is pretty important. Okay, so last piece of this is really the paid part. If, in fact, you do have money to throw at this, um, I think the best data in targeting an audience, provided you're staying in the, in the world of agriculture, is going to be through our ag pubs. Their data is definitely the best. Um, there are other ways you can approach that that I'll talk about. One would be the paid podcast ads, and there are networks that you can use that would be more like programmatic, and you can spend some money on that. I would, I guess I'd be really hesitant to go out and do that myself. Um, but when you're thinking about the sponsorship piece of it and monetizing this, that whether or not you're having a podcast guest read your ad or if you're just you're doing it programmatically where it's pre-recorded, um, we've all listened to podcasts that have those. Uh, I prefer the, the guest to actually understand the product and read and, and actually advocate for it. But that those are few and far between. And then also on the paid media side, because you've actually taken the time to put those code snippets in, like we need to, through Google Analytics, you can actually build a remarketing audience. So these would be people who had actually been to that page of your website or had engaged in some other way. Um, and you, through your analytics, can take that and move it over to the Google Ads side of this and actually start retargeting them with banners and things like that. Again, that's, that's all through Google. It's going to take you some more work, but it is another way. Um, 
to expand it through the similar audiences. And so Google's got people who are like this. So it's kind of like lookalikes. Again, because it's Google, that could open up a fire hose. You may want to go in and add some other layers, either demographically or behaviorally, to kind of narrow it back down again. But that, that is a way to build your audience through paid media. And then, again, a custom Facebook audience, kind of the same thing, except it's in the world of Facebook. So that would be showing up as a paid Facebook piece. Um, Facebook does a great job of understanding uh, your lookalikes. So that actually, both of those are things you can cap so you can experiment with it. Um, and you can kind of manage your budget that way. But there are ways to go and spend money to build your audience, too. Oh, and one other, <clears throat> that last thing, that device targeting on Apple or Google Podcasts, Facebook is smart enough to know what device you're on. So it can actually help send them people directly to uh, your podcast so you can listen now, which I think is pretty cool, through the Listen Now button. So that's, that's the building an audience piece of it uh, through owned, earned, and paid media. We had a really good workshop at Ag Media Summit, and we had a great audience as well during that session that asked a lot of good questions. I'm sure you might have some too. I wanted to include those questions on the podcast, but we might be here for a while. So if you guys have questions from this session, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Um, you can find me on social media in the show notes. Shoot me a message, an email, and just we can talk about the questions that you might have, and I'd be happy to bring Sarah into the conversation as well. But guys, my ultimate advice when it comes to podcasting is making it uniquely yours. A lot of the questions were asking about how long should your podcast be and things like that. And truly make that podcast yours. If you have engaging content and people could sit through an hour and Sarah mentioned that one of her favorite podcast episodes was two hours long, you got to make it uniquely yours as long as you're engaging with your target audience. It's your show and you can do so much with it. So make that podcast uniquely yours and really put your voice into it. Like I said, if you have some questions, please reach out to me. If you want to hear future episodes of the AgCom Network podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, and now check us out on iHeartRadio. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. This has been an Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thanks for listening, and please visit us online at agcomnetwork.com for more great content.